Well, good evening. Welcome to all of you watching online. My name's David, and I am so glad you're here. Got a question to start out with. How many of you all did well in math in school growing up? How'd you do with that subject? Yeah? We got some math people here? My experience with math was pretty good, but my experience with other classes, not so much. My family moved to Erlanger, Kentucky from Buffalo, New York when I was just beginning the fourth grade. And on the first day of class, the teacher told us, get out a piece of notebook paper and write out, write out I want you to write out all the letters of the alphabet in cursive. I looked around, nobody else seemed to have a problem with it. They were going to town writing, except here's a problem. I had never learned how to write cursive in New York. They hadn't taught us that yet up north. I know Kentucky is so far advanced from everyone else. But here's what I did do. Rather than tell the teacher, which I should have done, and say, I don't know how to do it, I noticed that the letters of the alphabet were in cursive and placed above the chalkboard and displayed prominently there. So instead of speaking up, i tell you what I did. I compromised, and I came up with my own solution. I decided I would look on the board and then put the pen to paper at my copy, at my class notebook there, and I would try to mimic or copy what was on the board and write it down. I improvised. I'm good at improvising most of the time. So I meticulously, everybody else was done, but I meticulously kept looking up and writing down in cursive the alphabet, and I turned it in. Later that day, my dad got a call from the teacher, and she said, uh, Mr. Vaughn, I, I, I'm concerned about your son, David Brian Vaughn. I think he has a learning disability, because this is the worst handwriting we have ever seen anybody have in our school. My dad said, well, I'm not surprised he's never done that before. And so she said, oh, I didn't know that, which is maybe now why I print every single thing. I'm just a printer. And the next day, she said, you should have told me. And from that point on, everything, I said, I don't know this. <laughs> I was pretty good at math, but not so hot at writing. I was really good at addition and really good at multiplication. And ironically, I want to talk to you tonight about this idea of multiplication. Not writing cursive, but addition and God's cosmic math of multiplication. Because believe it or not, the early church was great at addition, and they were outstanding at multiplication. If you study Acts chapter 1, it begins with 120 followers of Jesus, and by the time you get to Acts 2, that number has increased. It's grown to more than 3,000. By the time Acts 2.47 comes, it tells us that people are responding to Jesus every single day. Every day, someone is coming to faith in Christ. I think they had like 365 baptisms, maybe, in one year. That's what we're trying to do. But after a short period of time, Acts 4 records that about 5,000 men are now Christians. And then we turn to Acts chapter 6, and we see the number of disciples is increasing rapidly. And then in Acts 9, it makes this stunning statement. They were living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit the church increased, some translations have multiplied in numbers. And believe it or not, by A.D. 350, even though that church started in A.D. 30, in A.D. 350, there were 31 million Christians in their day. More than half the population 
of the entire Roman Empire. So my question for you is this, when, with God's cosmic math, what might that look like today in our world? How could we mimic that type of growth for the kingdom of God here in 2020 and beyond? Because let me tell you, friend, the same Lord is in charge of the same church. If the Spirit can do it then, you know what? The Spirit can do it now. 1 Timothy 2.4 is still true. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How is that going to be done? It's not by mimicking a board in handwriting. It's through multiplication. And so I'm coming tonight to talk to you about being a multiplier. For the one is our vision on how to do that. We are in the process of trying to figure out how to multiply groups and people and mentors. Talked about that last week. And even new worship sites for the one. Why? Because if you study the life of Jesus, you see his, his driving passion was for one more. If you study Luke 15 and you see the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, it was always about one more. It was never about those in the already convinced category, the inside people, the church people. It was about those who were outside, and he did everything he could to go out for the one. We are wanting you to be in a group, and we are trying to multiply groups as fast as we can around here. I mentioned groups, and if you're not in a group, you need to be in one. Joining a group is easy around here through what we call group link. It's coming up next Sunday night, January 26th, and January 29th, next Wednesday night, 6.30 here in our campus, right here in the worship center. We've got our hope campaign that is launching next week. This is the perfect time to get in a group, and we hope you will be in a hope campaign group. And we want to unleash in this campaign of hope thousands of people inside and outside of the church learning about hope. If you are new watching online or you're new here tonight, this hope campaign is for you. The campaign is not about raising money. It's about raising hope. And we want to just multiply hope. And so whatever you do, get your calendar aligned I'm glad you're here tonight. I hear it might be sleeting Sunday, right? So, man, Thursday night is going to be a great night. Where, however you get here, the next six weeks, I'm telling you, whether you've been in the church a long time, whether you're brand new today or just watching new online here, get in a hope group and be here in the next six weeks. Tonight, I want to focus and just share my heart in a little bit different way. I want to talk to you tonight about kingdom and church multiplication. Amazing things ha can happen when an Acts 2 phenomenon occurs and churches multiply. If today is your first time or your first time watching online, this is going to be really helpful for you in knowing where we're going the next couple of years as a church. If you're trying to figure out if this is a church I want to be a part of, this will give you an idea. And I'll just say right up front, it's not for everybody. Tonight's message, not so much like I usually do, less of a sermon, more of just a little family talk. I got a few more notes to share a little bit about the vision that God has put on my heart and our leader's heart here in this next God-shaped hill we want to take for Jesus, especially those who are far from God. Friend, if you're not interested in being in a church that's for lost people, you're in the wrong church here. We didn't get here to where we are without actively being great commission proponents. 
mimicking, if we're going to mimic, not just letters in cursive on a blackboard, we want to mimic the master. And so, for the one is our plan to help even more people find help and hope in Jesus in a church home by launching other campuses eventually in other places in the next two to four years. So it won't be a while, but we got to get started now, and we got to talk about it now. I have mentioned multi-site before on this stage, but not probably as clearly and specifically, and I pray as passionately as I want to do tonight for our church to hear. This initiative is great news for those of you who drive a long distance on Thursday or Sunday. I know it's Thursday night. Can I just see your hand? How many of you drive to get, got, get here tonight more than 20 minutes to get here to worship? Can I see your hand? All right. Thank you. It's more than you think. This is an emerging opportunity cleverly disguised as a problem. Let me read to you a recent email, and we get all kind of emails. Could I just say it's wonderful most of the emails I get. Some of them, I have to pray about it. But anyway, some of them go in my love letters to David file. But here's one I got that made me happy, but it made me sad. You'll hear why in just a minute. It was sent to Anna on our children's staff by a wonderful family who's been attending here quite a while. Here's what it said. I should have sent this email a long time ago, but I want to let you know that our family has begun attending closer to home. Two years ago, we moved and we still commuted to Whitewater because we loved it so much. However, during the four-year street series, we realized that because of our commute, we were turning into Sunday-only attenders. And we want to be able to serve and have our kids involved more than just once a week. It was so hard to leave because we love Whitewater. We've attended here for 10 years, and it means a lot to us. This email is not only to let you know we are gone for your record keeping, but also to say thank you for all of the time you spent teaching and loving us and our kids. Now, I'm excited that that person is now being deployed and sent out to be Jesus and be for their street and all of the things that we've been talking about. But there was a bit of sadness for me because I thought, you know what? Here's an awesome family, and I know we've sent them, but is there an alternative? As our church has grown in size and scope, we have become a regional church, not a local one. And it's likely that although you may continue to come to this church and drive from wherever you drive, your unchurched neighbors likely won't. We've had people invite and say, you know, my friend will come, but they said it's too far a drive for them. Which is why starting a small group in your house is critical. And then if we possibly layer a whitewater campus someday, so you can worship near your house, that will help even more, especially if your kids are in that same school system. So stick with me for a few minutes. I wanna walk you through the macro vision of multi-site and the what and the why behind our thinking and our strategy. Some of us have had in this room and watching online, and for sure this Sunday, some of us have had less than positive experiences with a church that tried multi-site. I can point to models and churches, even in our area, some of our sister churches, it didn't go so well. But I've also got some models of where it did go well. My goal for you is to hear my heart so you can more fully engage and understand and support this as a tender a member here. And it's all about the one. It's all about reaching one more. It's about addition, but it's about multiplication. And this plan that you're going to hear about often from now on is not just my vision for the future, 
It's not some kooky idea David got because he couldn't sleep and he got up in the middle of the night because he has skyline chili. I don't think that's it. This is a vetted process. It's an elder-affirmed direction. And we have wonderful elders here, and I, every great idea I have is not a great idea. And they let me know it when it's great and when it's not. But I have been praying, we have been discussing this on Sun Level behind the scenes since the spring of 2018, almost two years. And remember, the vision is not multi-site. The vision is reaching people. It's all about the one. The, the vision is not this building. We've got a great facility here. But the vision is not the brick and mortar. The vision is what happens in the brick and mortar. It's, church is not something you come to. It's who you are. It's where you go when you go. So the vision is to build this fully functioning biblical community that is for one more. So multi-sites and wonderful facilities like this one are just tools that accomplish the mission of helping people find hope in Jesus and a home in his church. Time does not permit me to go into all kinds of detail on this. You will hear a ton more. You can read a ton more about the drivers for this, the background to this at whitewatercrossing.org slash for the one. It's on the screen. I think it's in your program. Tune in to that. Click into that frequently. But I want to give you some key components of my heart for this strategy. The simplest way to say it is that we want to be one church in multiple locations. In some ways, we already are because people are driving from all over. One of the biggest challenges and yet most important factors in becoming a healthy multi-site, we want to be healthy and growing multi-site. We don't want to be multi-stuck. We want to be multi-sided. But one of the most important changes is a paradigm shift from monocyte thinking to multi-site thinking, to move away from the idea that the only thing going on in this church is right here in 128 in Cleves, and be campus-centric here, you have to move to a church mentality everywhere. The older a church is, and the longer it stays in one location, the harder it is for people to make this critical shift in how they think about church. Most of you when you came to this church, you have a single-site mentality. I know I did. A facility-based model of ministry. And it takes a while to move to a multiple-location, community-centered way of reaching people. These new sites that I'm talking about starting eventually are not separate churches. There are other locations that provide spiritual help and hope and home through our own unique personality and DNA of this church. We'll still be one church, just in multiple meeting locations. We'll still operate with one senior pastor, one elder board, one bank account, one staff, one mission, one message each week. All the sites that we hope to start someday, and remember I said sites, not site, because I think if this picks up steam and God blesses, is more than one. All of them will have the whitewater feel and brand and voice. Now, I can be honest with you for a few minutes here, not that I've been dishonest before, but let me be real with you. For some people, this whole idea of multi-site sounds like this trendy or even radical idea that will fade away with time. I used to think that too. In fact, I resisted thinking about it just to see if it was a trend or a fad. 20 years ago, there were fewer than 50 multi-site churches in all the U.S. and Canada. Now that number is 5,000, 
and it's growing rapidly year by year. A lot of smaller struggling churches invite healthy growing churches to come in and partner together and merge and do all kinds of creative things to reach people in that community. And, and there is this holy collaboration, sanctified acquisitions that even take place where people partner together to win even more people to Jesus. So the, the multi-site phenomenon is not going away. And as it, for it being a radical idea, I've been through a couple of these iterations of introducing new ideas to our church. Uh, when we added a second worship service on Sunday, there were, back in the day, some of y'all remember, the only time you went to church was on Sunday, and the only time you went was one time, like 11 a.m., and I remember when we started going to multi-services, people would complain, I won't see or know everybody like you know or see everybody now. For a while before we built phase two, we did three Sunday morning services and a Saturday night service. And I complained then. I was sick of hearing me preach after four times. I remember we were so forced to be creative we started what we later called the Who Day service. It started at 11.59 a.m. I wanted it all to be in the a.m. I didn't want p.m. 11.59. And I had to be done preaching at 1. If you wanted a short sermon, that was the one to come to. Because at 1 o'clock, we clicked on the game, and the TV went on behind me with a football game. We made hot dogs. It was great. The Bengals losing did not help our church attendance. But anyway, we called it the 11.59 Who Day service. And then we moved to multiple services on multiple days, and we moved from Saturday night, and now Thursday night. Look at that. We've already kind of been multi-site. We just started a site within our own site called Thursday night. And now the approach to the momentum is to experiment with opening more than one campus in order to further and fulfill the mission, because more can be reached by having more than one location, and for sure... As I studied the data here, more people get engaged the more church locations you have. The unmistakable evidence of the multi-site church movement working well is that they grow faster, they have more engagement by members, they reach more lost people than single-cell churches. It opens up a ton of positions for emerging and talented people to lead as others go. See, everyone has a critical role in this church, but especially we will have going pioneers and we'll have sending partners. Our body will be challenged to go and start up if that's where you live and then send and step up to fill those gaps. When multi-site movement started to emerge, I must tell you that I was a little bit skeptical and actually put it off intentionally for a while. Here's why, and it's, it, it sounds very godly. <laughs> I did not want to invite additional complexity and headaches into my already overwhelming ministry life in a growing church which had just opened a brand new $13.5 million building to accommodate more. And this is important for you to hear. We really want our Cleves campus here to flourish just as we want all our other campuses to flourish. We're not abandoning this location place. In fact, just the opposite. We're remaining fully committed to maxing out this amazing, this beautiful campus. But here's what we're recognizing. Everybody that will come can't come or won't come. And if they will not come to us, you know what I think Jesus wants to do? We will go to them. There are 100,000 people within 10 miles of where I'm standing here 
And I'm telling you, the vast majority of them have no church home and they have no hope and they won't get it unless we go to them. So even though it will bring me some more headaches, I'll probably lose more hair, even more than I have already. Some of you who know me know that I never back down from a challenge or an opportunity to decrease the population of hell and increase the population of heaven. I'm going for it. And the reason some of you like this church today is because we do things exactly like this from time to time. So it's kind of a both and. We want to keep winning people here. We want to win people there. We're just not putting all of our missional eggs in one basket or campus anymore. Things are growing here again. We kind of grow and for some reason we plateau and then we grow again and we plateau. A while back we were kind of plateauing. I realized it's kind of a base camp. It wasn't a plateau as much as a base camp where we had to retrench, retrain, recharge, recalibrate for the next run and the next climb we were making. And things right now are up and to the right. You may have noticed. I think we're like 102 baptisms since January 1. Do you know how rare that is? I mean, why would God bless us in that way? Just to have them all come here and cluster? I don't think so. Our giving, our attendance is at all-time high. We're averaging since the beginning of the year 2,113 people per week here. We are, that's the highest we've ever been in the history of the church. Well, one of my staff would say we're under the spout where the blessings come out. I love that. And you know what? I'd love to think that that revival that we're experiencing right now is because of our wonderful creative ideas. I was thinking the other day, I bet it's because of our wonderful oratorical skills and preaching. And it's just, it's just awesome. Or our excellent music and worship, although it's awesome. Or our facility. I bet all this growth is happening because of this wonderful new facility. But you know what? It's not. Sometimes it's in spite of me. Sometimes it's in spite of our inward focusedness. These things are happening these days, number one, because of the Holy Spirit of God, but because many of you are praying, you're investing, you're inviting, you're mentoring, you're multiplying that one person already where you already live. You're just looking for a place to bring more with you when you come, and some of them will never group or serve or go because it's too far. I seldom do a baptism anymore because the person who's already in the water is the person that won them to Jesus. So yes, it would be a lot easier not to do this multi-site thing. I could kind of kick that down the road and say, oh, I think my successor can take care of that. I think I'd like to play more golf. I think I'd like to drink more coffee. I think I'd like to watch more UK games. I could just kind of coast out with whatever time God leaves me here on earth and in this ministry and enjoy the blessing of God. But in my life, I didn't get to where we stand today by playing it safe. And the hard thing to me and the right thing to me are often the same thing. Yes, it's going to stress me out. It's going to stress our systems out. We don't have enough volunteers now. Are you kidding me? Now we got to recruit two to 500 more to go to a new site? Yep. Remember, it is a risk. Yes, it is a risk. It's not as big a risk as we made when we came down here 13 years ago. You talk about betting the farm. When we came down here, we had no guarantee that God was going to work the way he did. We bet the farm and bought a farm. But I'll give you a Vaughnism, which I give to the staff every once in a while. No risk it, no biscuit. Oh, I love that. No risk it, no biscuit. 
So listen to me, I'm not 100% sure how this is going to turn out. I've never done it before, but I'm 110% sure about why we need to try. It's about the one. And he, think about the cosmic redemptive strides that Jesus took from heaven to earth and the risk he took. How can we not do the same? It was a risk 13 years ago when we bought this 74-acre farm here on 128, a 91-year-old church relocated eight miles from its current site in Cheviot, and God chose to put us right here in a semi-industrial area. I met a visitor last week that we invited, and they were driving down from 74 Interchange, and they thought as they drove, there's no way a church this size is on this kind of road. How is that possible? And not only are we on a semi-industrial area, God placed us between two manufactured home communities that are challenging, and we have wonderful members now who are living there, being Jesus in these communities, but there's no way that you would, with your mind, put a church in that location. And now this is just another bold initiative that may sound crazy, but it's because we're crazy for people for God. And I often know that when God scares me with stuff, that's exactly where I need to be. Multi-site is really not anything new for us. It's just a continuation of the mission that we have always had. We are increasing, for those of you who are interested, our odds of success by studying churches that have succeeded. We've really studied churches that have failed. And we have a great church consultant that has been advising us and coaching us on best practices. We've been praying. We've been planning. We've been dreaming over the last 12 months. We have been onboarding and aligning just the right staff and the leaders to execute this bold new initiative. You'll hear about one of those new hires in just a few weeks that we are elated about. But we have had teams of people, smart people, working on this behind the scenes for months now. And I didn't want to get too far ahead of you before we rolled this out because I learned a long time ago as a preacher that people are down on what they're not up on. And now you're up on it. I'm sure you got some questions. I have some too. I'll list some of the top ones for you. And in time, I will fully be able to answer all those. The top question is, where's that first campus going to be? Because I want you to come where I live. I've got people lobbying me from Indiana. I got people lobbying me from Ohio. We got two search teams trying to figure it out. It, it, it'll not be no probably for anybody. It's just your first, your second, your third, your fourth. How will we pay for it? <laughs> That's a true West Side question if there ever was one. And it's legitimate. And we've got some creative ideas. In fact, God has already blessed us in some ways I had no idea financially to be able to consider this. Will the teaching at the campuses be live or venue? venue? I'm leaning toward hologram preaching. I, don't I think, yeah, I think I'd look better and thinner. Now, we're going to be providing all these answers as we go through whitewatercrossing.org slash for the one. You're going to memorize that before the next couple of years are over. And I know this multi-site thing is new. It's like me trying to learn cursive off the blackboard posters there's some problems it takes a while to get used to it that's okay change is hard even when you know it's good for you you know what the snail said to the turtle <laughs> when the snail was riding on the turtle's back going down there what did the snail say to the turtle Wee. 
It's all subjective on how fast and how slow we're going. Some people would say we're slow to this game, this multi-site thing. Others say, well, maybe too fast. But if history teaches us anything, it's this. People really don't know what will and won't be effective until they experience it. Years ago, I understand that when Sears launched their remotely operated garage door openers, they asked a focus group if they would buy it, and the response of the group before it was invented was overwhelmingly negative. But today, if you live in a home with a garage, you cannot imagine getting out of your car, especially if it's raining or the freezing rain, without opening the garage door. Something new. People don't know if they liked it, said, I won't like it, till they experienced it. Same thing true with multi-site. Henry Ford, the inventor of the first automobile, once famously uh, said if he asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. So, David, what is prompting this for you? Let me tell you, it's pure and simple. You could check this out. My motive is the mission. The mission is driving this. It's the why. I will be accountable for God someday, not for how big this church is, but for how healthy and Acts 2 church-ish this church is. God's going to hold me accountable for opportunities to reach the one more than just pastor the already found. Don't get lost in the what's. Get lost in the wonder of Jesus, the mission of his church. And we got to be loyal to Jesus' last command. Go into all the world. Don't just come, but go into all the world. And we've got to be loyal to that mission, that mandate, because it's his church. I'm not doing it so like David Vaughn's name or Whitewater's name could be famous. I want Jesus to be famous. And as long as we keep Jesus at the forefront, everything tends to work out okay. We're going to pursue this even though we're not fully full here. We've started services when we still had room to grow. That's just the way it works. I believe we have been called with the talent we have in this church to change a region and not just a corridor on 128. Based on what I know about you, even in this room and those watching online, you have more in you. And I'm going to prompt you and provoke you and I'm going to preach to you to rise up and multiply. So even though we're 18, 24 months away from our first campus, here's what I want you to do as I close. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. Number one, pray. This will utterly fail without prayer. Without the prayers going up, the power will not come down. And I've been here before where I thought I could do it in my ingenuity. I can just tell you, it didn't work out very well. The times when I plateaued, when our church plateaued, I got to put the thermometer in my mouth. I wasn't dreaming enough. I wasn't close to Christ enough. I wasn't praying enough. So prayer for this is not supplemental. It's essential. And it will fail unless we pray. Number two, become knowledgeable and conversational as to the why of multi-site. As I've mentioned already, go frequently to whitewatercrossing.org slash for the one. You know everything tonight to get you going to read more. Number three, assume positive intent. This is so important with any new initiative that we have started in our church. You have got to trust me and our leaders, and I'm spending some trust-accumulated change just to make that you're just going to have to trust us. It's coming from a place where we're trying to read the culture, read the momentum, read the strategy, and this is the way more people can be one to Jesus Christ. 
but assume positive intent. Ask tons of questions because we already have. And then last, keep being for your street now. Some of you are microsites already because of the homes that you meet in with your small groups, the serving you've done. The For the One campaign will build on our successful efforts to be for our streets, for our schools. Our hope is that For Our Street takes on this deeper roots in our hearts and our homes, and that multi-site becomes like just the natural extension for what we're already doing with friends and family in our neighborhoods. Success in our church's future, listen, is changed. It will be measured by not just how many come, although that's important, but how many are sent. I'm calling you out not just to sit and soak, but to go and to train and to multiply. So let me ask you, how are you multiplying yourself right now? Where are you multiplying yourself? Who's the one neighbor, the one coworker, the one friend that you can invest in now? Who's the one person that you could start developing and discipling so they could bring hope to others? And I'd ask you to pray that God would give us unbelievable wisdom and provide multiple campuses in multiple communities over multiple years for our friends and family to experience hope and then get better connected. Let me just go back to Jesus for a moment. Always good to go back to Jesus. After Jesus resurrected and ascended, he told his disciples, hang out in Jerusalem, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll know what to do. And that's exactly what they did. The disciples gathered in that upper room and they sat and they sat and they waited and they waited and they sat some more. They didn't go because the natural gravitational pull of church people is to sit and to cluster with each other. And that's when the church starts to die, when we're only concerned about the already convinced. So Jesus, he did something really weird. He sent a persecution. He allowed a persecution of the Acts 2 church to get the church to disperse and go and train and multiply. It's the only way he could get them out of their holy huddle. He, he made people start dying for their faith, in prison for their faith. I told you at the beginning of this message that when the early church started, they started adding and then multiplying. But the point of multiplication was persecution. And I don't want... <laughs> And I don't have that as a driver, I, although I might receive some persecution from people who don't like this idea. I, I can deal with that. But because of our momentum, we can move out now with provision and not persecution. I don't want God to have to shake us up with an internal problem to get us to see that we have I've lost our outward focus. So we can move out now with resources beyond what we can even imagine and shake the gates of hell one person at a time. It occurs to me that a church full of people committed to Jesus never says we're done. Instead, they say, what's next? Some people have been asking me that over the last year. David, what's next? We got this new cool building. Great. What's next? And after studying emerging church models and strategies, I am now convinced that multi-site is the future of the church. It's the future of this church, and I plan to invest the rest of my leadership capital and the rest of my ministry days here as your pastor, making this become a reality. So I'm humbly coming to you tonight, just boldly even, 
asking you to join me in this cosmic redemptive mission. Get good at math. You don't have to be good at the cursive. Get good at math. Let's talk about what God may have really put this church here to do. And it's not just to huddle, but it's to multiply. And I look forward to sharing more details uh, as we move forward. If you need some prayer tonight, some of you say, we need to pray after that. Yeah, we'd love to have you down front here. If you're brand new, if you're not running for the doors and you want to run up here and meet us, that would be great. This weekend, today and this weekend is food pantry day, so grab one of those blue bags on your way out. Shout out to the Life Center, the food pantry folks who watch us online back there and that part of our facility on the screen. We love you guys. You're doing great. And come back next week. We'll kind of get more into our regular message that we normally do. Uh, And we're going to launch this campaign of hope, which I think is one of the greatest themes and the greatest series that we're ever going to experience to kind of capitalize on all this Holy Spirit momentum of God. So thank you for your prayers. It is never easy to lead a church, but you make it be so much easier for me. And thank you for your encouragement and thank you for your trust for the one. Let me have you stand. We want to pray. Father in heaven, lots of information that we covered, lots of uh, dreaming, lots of vision casting, lots of facts. Some of it, Father, may be boring, you know, for some of us. Some of us, Father, it may be discouraging because uh, we didn't have a good experience somewhere else. Um, Just like I said in that fourth grade class, wondering how I would react or respond to something I didn't even know. Yet, God, that turned out pretty good. I pray, God, that you would send us a new faith, a new vision to see beyond what we are currently realizing and to realize, God, that uh, if we don't start now, it will never happen. And we could wait for months and years to decide. But, God, we know enough now to move out in faith. And so we ask for your blessing on what we're doing And we believe it is of you. It's what you're doing. And help us to catch up with that. I thank you for each person here and the role they will play as this church continues to go hard after the one. That God, the one that's not here that should be here. The family and friend and person we work with and work out with that desperately needs the one that came from heaven to earth. And we pray, God, that uh, this would be an initiative, a strategy that would make that possible so they could live forever with you. And so, Father, thank you for this church, for the wonderful momentum we're seeing, but more than that, the wonderful permission by our leaders to dream and to risk for you. And we will give you glory and praise for what you're doing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend for Hope.